Okay, good. All right. That's a lot of you, some of you. And uh, church is, again, always a great place to bring your Bible. I highly recommend it. And uh, we are going to... I just lost my sermon. Oh, well. Okay. There it is. All right. Good. (laughs) Almost had to wing it, and you don't want that. Now, uh, what we've been doing is going through the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. And what Jesus did, he uh, appeared to the apostle John while John was sentenced to live in exile on an island by the name of Patmos. And uh, while he's there, Jesus appears and uh, he dictates seven letters to different churches in Asia Minor, kind of what we would call modern-day Turkey around there. Uh, speaking of Turkey, Thanksgiving is just two weeks away. Uh, I don't know why I said that. That just, wow. Oh, well. So, that was a good moment. So, anyway, today, today we're going to look at, uh, today we're going to look at the, the letter that might be uh, the most well-known. If it's not the most well-known, probably the second most. And that is the church in Laodicea, the lukewarm church. And the title of my message, I thought would be very uplifting. I've titled this, Sickening Christianity. So, be blessed. Good night, everybody. Sickening Christianity. As, as we look at this particular letter, I got to tell you, Jesus had some really, really strong words for this church. Uh, maybe a little bit stronger than some of the others. And, and, and I'm going to show you today, I'm going to show you that Jesus is speaking to these people in a way that they very much understand. And as a side note, I want to tell you that the Bible is not meant to be some Rubik's Cube that you try to put together and say, oh, I'll just, I'll just never get this thing. That's not, that's not the Bible. The Bible is meant to be understood, and not only understood, so you have a bunch of facts and, and Bible trivia to impress your friends. The, the, the Bible is available to us so that we can not only understand it, but also apply it to our lives. And so Jesus speaks directly to this church in Laodicea, and he has some pretty direct things that he communicates to them, and I think, in fact, I know that there is a message today for all of us who call Jesus our Lord, who identify ourselves as followers of Jesus. How many of you identify yourself as a follower of Jesus? Okay, what's wrong with the rest of you? Did you like backslide since last Sunday? What happened here? Some of you, if I paid you $50 to raise your hand, you would still not raise your hand. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, sure you are. Yeah, now now it looks like revival. 50 bucks. But uh, this message is not just for some church in Asia Minor 2,000 years ago. There's a message to be understood here today 
and I think a real challenge to all of us too. And so if you're able to, would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's word together? And we're going to start in Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14, and we're going to go to verse 22. And if you don't have your Bible, you can follow right along on the screen. You ready? To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love are rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. God, I really believe you've got a message for all of us here today. And God, to those of us who maybe have been around you for a while, I pray that you would open up our eyes brand new to what you are saying through this letter. Uh, God, to those of us who are kind of new to this thing, I, I pray that you would just continue moving us forward and moving us along and, and helping us to come as close to you as possible. But Lord, bless this time as we unpack your word and change us. And it's in your name we pray and we all said, Amen. 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 You may be seated. Sickening Christianity. (laughs) Now, before we really unpack this letter, uh, I want to share with you again some some trivia, some uh, maybe little-known facts about uh, Laodicea. I know when you woke up, you said, I'm going to brush up on my Laodicea knowledge today. So humor me if you already know this, but I want you to see this. First of all, Laodicea was a very wealthy city, extremely wealthy. In fact, listen to this, okay? Remember how the last church was prone to earthquakes, okay? Well, This is kind of in a a similar area. And when a terrible earthquake destroyed Laodicea and many of the areas nearby, okay, Laodicea, this this city refused any financial help from the Roman Empire. They chose to rebuild things themselves. So the Roman Empire offered all of its riches and all of its wealth 
to help rebuild Laodicea. And Laodicea was so wealthy, they said, we got it. So how many know they were really well off, right? Secondly, Laodicea had a great textile industry. They were known for making clothing and very high-quality clothing. In fact, they had a famous, what they called, black wool that they would sell, and it could only be found in Laodicea. So they're fashion capital, kind of like Brimfield, Ohio. (laughs) I'm just kidding. If you live in Brimfield, I'm joking. Here we go. Thirdly, uh, Laodicea had a famous medical school. It'd be like the Mayo Clinic today. And this medical school was so popular and so famous, they, they actually developed a famous uh, eye salve, an eye medicine called Phrygian powder. And it cured constant eye ailments and eye problems. Laodicea was known for that. Here's the fourth thing. Laodicea had a terrible, terrible water supply. Amidst all the wealth, amidst all the fashion, amidst all of the medicine, their water supply was absolutely atrocious. They they had to pipe in water from aqueducts from the south in order to have any water at all. And because they were unable to have a good source of water readily available, they would, you ready? They would neither have cool water to drink or hot water for all of its purposes. Their water was neither hot nor cold. It was lukewarm. Did I mention that Jesus loves to speak to us in ways that we understand? And so Jesus is actually comparing all of this intricate knowledge of Laodicea, all these things that they're famous for, Jesus actually wraps all of this around into what he has to say to this church. Now, here we go. There's a good chance that I'm going to make somebody mad here. Okay? Uh, and, and, and here's why, okay? Jesus, Jesus said... Jesus said that their spiritual condition, that the spiritual condition of the Laodiceans was sickening. He says, because you're neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of your mouth. Have you ever been like really thirsty? And like, like for me, if I accidentally pick up my wife's iced tea, I hate iced tea. And I'm not a coffee guy either. All that's just real bitter for me. So like, so like when I accidentally drank my wife's uh, unsweetened tea, I'm like, uh, uh, how do you drink this stuff? You know, how do you not strip the wallpaper with this? What in the world? Ah. And, and, and you drink it, and it's just like, it is not what you were expecting. It kind of makes you sick. Well, well Jesus 
literally the word in the Greek that when he says, spit you out of your mouth, Jesus actually uses the word for vomit. Isn't that encouraging today? So to put it in a real blunt vernacular, Jesus is looking at this church's spiritual condition, and he says, you make me want to puke. Wow. What was it about this church's spiritual condition that made Jesus sick? I mean, Jesus is so merciful. He's so gracious. He's so loving. And, and, and for, for the Son of God to say, uh, you make me want to throw up. Whoa. How many know there's something seriously wrong if Jesus is saying that about you? Would you say amen? Now, here's the deal. Here's where I start making people mad. Because a lot of people, I've heard so many sermons. I've heard a lot of teachings about, from people who try to tell me what lukewarm is. Okay? Now it got quiet. Because I hear this. Well, if you're not... These people that are hot for Jesus, and then they're cold for Jesus. You're lukewarm. I'm going to be hot for my Jesus. Hallelujah. That's not what this verse says. Well, pastor, how do you know that? Look again at verse 15. Okay? Jesus says, I know your deeds. You're neither cold nor hot. Look at that last sentence. I wish you were either one or the other. Now, if being hot is being on fire for Jesus and being cold is being spiritually cold towards Jesus, would Jesus ever say, I really wish you were cold? That really goes against what I understand of the heart of Jesus. In fact, when I look at 2 Peter 3, 9, I read this, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. Not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. So I don't believe that Jesus is talking to a bunch of people that were hot one minute and not hot the other. And then they were on fire for Jesus one minute, and then they, were, they weren't on fire. Look, and if that's you... If that's you, okay, you need to shape up. Okay, and this is free. This is not even in my sermon. But, okay, but if you're on fire for God when Sunday's over, and I hope you are, okay, but if by the time Monday rolls around, you can't even spell Jesus, okay, there's a problem there. There's a problem there. You, you need to remain consistent with Jesus Christ. Can you say Amen. So I'm not bashing being consistent at all. I want that. And that's in your life, that's in your word, that's in your social media, by the way. It's in all of that. Some of us forget that. But, but I believe that there's something else here that makes Jesus sick. That, 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 that there's something else that causes Jesus to get a sickening feeling when he looks at a bunch of of church people. Let's remind ourselves these are people in a church. Church people. And he says, hey, church people, you make me want to puke. Wouldn't that have been an awesome title? Hey, you make me want to puke. 
So what is it? What is it that would cause the king of kings to be sickened by the spiritual condition of an entire church? Let me show you. Number one, you know what really made Jesus sick was their indifference. Their indifference. Pastor, what do you mean? This is going to get really good. Okay, look at verse 17. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I do not need a thing. But you don't realize that you're wretched. You're pitiful. (laughs) There's some tough love going on here, by the way. You don't realize that you're poor. You're blind. And you're naked. Now, how interesting is it, by the way, that he talks to a wealthy people in a wealthy city and he calls them poor? And how amazing is it that he talks to a a, a group of people with a medical facility that is great at healing eye issues and he calls them blind? How interesting that he talks to a city full of people that are known for their textile industry and he says that they are naked. Jesus is getting in their business. Now you'll say, well, thank God that's not me. Well, maybe it is. See, because here's the problem. The church was satisfied with what they had. They felt they had no need for Jesus or anything he could give them. Oh, I gotta say that again. You say you're rich, and I've acquired great wealth, and I don't need anything. And Jesus says, "You think that's going to take care of you? You think what you have is going to is going to make you happy? You think what you own is going to serve the purpose of, of of giving you peace and satisfaction and contentment and happiness?" And he says, you don't realize that in the midst of all this great stuff that you own, that you are poor, rich, and blind, poor, and, and, and pitiful, and naked. What was it? They were content with what they had. Not what Jesus could give them. This is a dangerous place to be. And the 21st century church, I believe, is guilty of Because we find ourselves being very content with what we have. And so it takes away our need for Jesus. Want to know who the toughest people to reach are? Not the atheist. Not not the poor people in the worst part of town. No. Want to know who the toughest people are to reach? It's the rich people who don't think they need anything. Why do I need Jesus? I've got fill in the blank. Now you might be saying, wow, pastor's coming down on rich people. No, I'm not. If you're rich, you're very welcome here. If you're poor, you're very welcome here. That's not the issue. See, because here's, here's what happens. You don't have to have a large bank account to be able to have this indifference in your life. This isn't just for the top 1%. 
whatever that is. Maybe you or somebody that you know of might say this, well, I have acquired, remember how the Laodiceans said, I've acquired great wealth, now I don't need a thing. Maybe you find yourself saying, you know what, I've acquired a spouse, and I don't need any more love. I got all that I need in my hubby. I got all that I need in the woman of my dreams. Why do I need Jesus? Why do I need to pursue a deeper walk with God? I got a good family. Maybe you would say, I've acquired a job. I don't need any security. I'm good. Got a good retirement. We all know the stock market is great right now. Maybe somebody might say, I have acquired a certain position, so I really don't need any identity in Jesus. I mean, yeah, thanks for saying that I'm his child, but do you know who I am? You ever play that card, by the way? Do you know who I am? Maybe you could say, I've acquired friends. I don't need a church family. Maybe you could say, I've acquired a busy schedule and I don't need to serve in ministry. I'm busy enough. Maybe you'd say, I've acquired responsibilities. I got bills to pay. And I don't need to give. Do you see what's happened? Laodicea had a cheap substitute for the things of God. The 21st century church can be guilty of the same things. We can can camp out on having a cheap substitute for everything that Jesus offers us. And that kind of Christianity, that kind of spirituality, that kind of faith makes... Jesus sick. Their indifference. Secondly, if their indifference wasn't bad enough, their ignorance was even worse. Let's go back to verse 17. You say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth, I do not need a thing. But Jesus said, you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. In other words, they were absolutely unaware of how bad things were spiritually. Oh, And that's where this gets dangerous. That's where this gets dangerous. It's almost like the proverbial, that they, they say if you, if you put a frog in, in, a, in a pot of water... And, and you just start being the water. And who does this, by the way? But, but, it's, like, it's like, hey, there's a frog. Let's boil it. But anyway, and, and they say that the frog will just stay until he boils to death because he doesn't realize that things are changing around him. It's a slow burn. It's a slow destruction. It's a slow demise. And what's interesting about this type of Christianity and this type of faith is the fact that we can rely so much 
on other things besides Jesus. We can settle for the cheap uh, imitations and the cheap substitutes for the things of God that we are absolutely ignorant as to how bad our spiritual life really is. In fact, this will lull you into a sense of spiritual security and it is the biggest lie you could ever imagine. It's one thing to admit that you're a hot mess. It's another thing to be a hot mess and think you're not a hot mess. That's when it gets scary. And it's this that sickens Jesus. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? Am I coming down on you? No, no, I'm not trying to do that at all. I'm trying to save you. I'm trying to save you from having a false sense of security in thinking that putting up or tolerating or admitting different security and different types of senses of security into your life as a substitute for Jesus and the things of Jesus is good enough. In other words, if you don't think you need your church family, but you've got friends online Okay, you've been lulled into a false sense of security. If you think that because you got a raise this year that you really don't need to depend on Jesus anymore, you have been lulled into a false sense of security. If you finally found the man or the woman of your dreams, hallelujah, you, and you don't think that you need Jesus anymore because you were praying pretty hard until that guy or girl showed up, but now there he is, you got him, put a ring on it, hallelujah, and now you don't think you need Jesus anymore, you have been lulled into a false sense of security, and you may not even realize it. You may be, you, you may be a veteran of Christianity. I mean, you've been serving Jesus, or you've been called a Christian for a long time. But you've not tried to grow in Christ in years because you've assumed that there's not much further to go. You have been lulled into a false sense of spiritual security. So what do we do? What do we do about that? That's one of my R words. Don't say it out loud. What do we do? Let's look at the instructions. We've seen their indifference. We've seen their ignorance. But then Jesus gives them some instructions. And I think this is a message for the 21st century church. Look again at verses 18 and 19. I counsel to you. Now, Jesus is so masterful in how he puts this. He tells this rich city, I counsel to buy you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. He tells this city that's known for its textile industry, buy from me white clothes, which is interesting because they had a black wool. He said, buy from me white clothes, must have been after Labor Day, I don't know, but white, white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. He tells the city known for its famous eye medicine in their medical facility and buy from me salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. 
Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. What is, what is Jesus' message to a lukewarm Christian? Number one, rely on him. Rely on what he can do. Not on what you have. Not what you can accomplish. Rely. Don't be content with what you have, but rely on what God has for us. Rely and depend on what God has for us. That's why I love how Jesus put this. Stop depending on your gold and your clothes and your eye medicine. Instead, rely on me. Rely on me. Stop depending on how hard you work and rely on Jesus. Stop depending on your charisma and rely on Jesus. Stop depending on how much money you make and rely on Jesus. Stop depending on this instead of Jesus. Stop depending on that instead of Jesus. Rely on what I can do. Now, does that mean that we're passive all the time? No. But what we do, we rely on his direction. And if he tells us to act, we act. If he tells us to move, we move. But we dare not do so without him. We rely. Secondly, is the word remember. Rely on his resources. Secondly, remember. What did he say? Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Parents, was that kind of a hard sell when you were telling that to your children? I'm disciplining you because I love you. Well, that doesn't feel like it. When my mom, single mom, uh, raising three boys by herself, let's just say that she had to go to some strong measures to keep us in line sometimes. And when she would have to discipline us, no, she, she wasn't abusive, <laughs> just almost. But, um, so she didn't abuse us, but man, she was strong. And when she would discipline me, she never disciplined Matt because he was the favorite, but I digress. <laughs> wonder if he's watching. When she would discipline me, it was hard at the time to say, wow, thanks, Mom. That was for my good. <laughs> no. No. But that's the way the Lord acts. All, all of these, listen, all these strong words that Jesus threw out to the Laodicean church, all those strong words, that wasn't out of hate or anger or condemnation. It's because he loved them. He was strong with them because he loved them. Look, if Jesus is dealing with you, or let me go wider, anytime Jesus deals with you, and it's a little uncomfortable, it's like, oh, man, that stings a little bit. You ever have one of those moments? Maybe in a Sunday sermon, maybe when you're reading the Word, and it's just like, oh, oh okay, you know what that is? That's Jesus loving you enough to tell you the truth. So remember that. Remember that. 
Don't take the Lord's discipline as some sign that he hates you. Don't take the Lord's discipline as some sign that he doesn't want anything to do with you. He loves you, and that's why he goes to the time to try to put you in the right place. And then there's that word again, repent. Rely, remember, repent. Repenting is not just saying sorry and not changing. Repenting is saying, Jesus, forgive me, and then you change. A true move of God, a true move of God is found in changed lives. I don't care how high you jump, how loud you shout, whether you fall forward, backward, levitate, I don't care, levitate, you know what, but, but, but when you're walking again, you better believe in Jesus. If he's changed you, let's mean it. God changed me. I'm not the same person that I was anymore. Paul says it this way, those who are in Christ, they are new creations, new creatures. The old is past. Behold, everything is made new. Don't listen to a message like this. Don't read a scripture like this and don't change. Please don't say, you know, the Lord's really been dealing with me. That's just Christian jargon for, I really don't want to do anything about it, but I'll get around to it maybe. If God's dealing with you, act. Repent. Here's how I'll close this. Jesus closes in verses 20 through 22 with an invitation. With an invitation. It's a passage of scripture that probably a lot of you have heard before. You've probably seen the, the, the paintings of Jesus knocking on the door. How many of you have ever seen that before? Okay. This is in reference to that verse. Here's what it says. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This this invitation is in three quick parts. Number one, I want you to know that Jesus is at the door. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I want you to understand that Jesus is not... (laughs) Jesus is not standing at the door of your heart, wherever you might be spiritually. He's not standing at the door of your heart, hoping to catch you on your way to work. I'll just stand here. I'll say hi to the Amazon guy when he comes by. That was pretty funny. That was pretty funny. It's sad when you have to tell people that your joke was funny. But, but Jesus is standing at the door, and he's not just standing there passively. He's knocking. He's trying to get your attention. 
He's trying to get your attention. That tugging of his Holy Spirit when you hear a message like this, that pulling at your heart when you read a scripture like this, do you know what that is? That's Jesus knocking, trying to get your attention. Jesus will go to great lengths to try to get your attention, no matter where you're at spiritually, but especially if you find yourself like the believers in in Laodicea, then Jesus says, hey, I'm at the door. I want your attention. I have something to say to you, and that brings me to number two. Jesus is not only at the door, but Jesus is at the table. Jesus says to the one who hears my voice, so that tells me that Jesus is not only knocking, he's saying, hey, I want to come in. Are you getting this? So if any man hears my voice, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. By the way, Jesus does not say, behold, I stand at the door and I'll kick it down you got to let him in. Because Jesus is a perfect gentleman and he will never force himself on anybody. And so you've got to let him in. So when Jesus says these things to you and Jesus deals with you, you, you've got to open that door and say, okay, come on in. Come on in. And Jesus comes in and, and here's the deal. I love the picture that Jesus paints. He's not standing at the doorway and say, you are a mess up. You will never succeed. Er, er, er leprosy. It's not what he does. He, he, he will sit at the table and eat with you. You know what that is? That's, that's fellowship. There's a conversation going on there. Lately, I've, lately I've scheduled a bunch of meetings with numerous pastors from all over the city. And the common denominator is that we always sit at a table together. Because that is the best way. In fact, when I haven't done that, those meetings have been a nightmare. I have one guy, I won't say who it was. All he did was look at his phone. All he he cared about what was going on for the rest of the day. I thought, boy, this meeting is a disaster. But when I could sit across the table from somebody and saying, tell me how I can serve you. Tell me what's going on. There's a conversation. That's the picture that Jesus is painting. He wants a conversation with you. He's not here to lecture you. He wants a conversation with you. He wants to talk to you today. And any conversation is never just one-sided. We talk to him. We let his word and his spirit speak to us. Jesus is at the door. Jesus is at the table. And and Jesus is on the throne. (laughs) To him who overcomes, Jesus says, I will give them the right to sit with me on my throne just as I sat with my father on his throne. Do you know what that throne is? It's not a place of status as much as it is as a place of victory. Jonathan led us in that song earlier, I'm going to see a victory. You see, victory is ensured when you're on the the same throne with Jesus. In other words, Jesus is reminding you, hey, 
I'm sitting on the throne here. I'm victorious. I was victorious over death and the grave. In fact, I was victorious over everything. And the one who overcomes, right here, your seed is saved. Well, let me say that again. What a great sermon that would be. Your seat is saved. If you overcome, you've got a promise of victory by the one who overcame it all. He's at the door. And if you let him in, he's at the table. When this is all done, you and him are on the throne. You can do this. I can't succeed spiritually. Yes, you can. I don't know. The temptations are too tough. Not too tough for you and Jesus. So my question is this. Is is there any hint of this kind of Christianity in your life this morning? Where you find yourself depending on things other than Jesus Things are more important to you. You rely on other things. You rely on what you can do. You rely on what somebody else can do for you instead of Jesus. I've acquired this. I've got friends, Pastor. I don't need all this church stuff. I've, I've got a position. I really don't. I mean, talk to the needy person. No, no, no. You don't understand. You're more needy than you realize. And Jesus would say, if there's any hint of this kind of Christianity in your life, then today is the day to do things his way and express your need for Jesus in every part of your life. When you wake up tomorrow, some of you need help waking up. Some of you need help getting up. Some of you need help getting to work. Some of you need help getting through the day. And there's not enough Red Bulls and coffee that's going to take the place of Jesus. Or diet do. Rely on Jesus. Rely on Jesus. So if you don't know how you're going to deal with the people that you'll see at work, rely on Jesus. Some of you aren't sure that you're going to get accomplished what you need to get accomplished with the responsibilities that you have. Rely on Jesus. Rely on Jesus. Folks, when I walk into my office and that phone says I have 13 voicemails it's like oh Jesus I need you I need you well I need to rely on my on my planning and, and my, my incredible work ethic. I, I, I need Jesus more than that some of you are facing some stuff and you've relied on the wrong thing There are people that are watching this that bounce from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship. All of them as toxic as the other one. And today, Jesus is saying, quit relying on some guy that you met online for your security and your identity and start relying on me and I will take care of that stuff. And why am I so strong? Because I'm tired of seeing the devil throw in his cheap invitations and trick people who know better 
into thinking that there's some kind of substitute for the things that Jesus has. There's no substitute. You say you're rich, you've acquired great wealth, and you don't need a thing. Jesus says, but you don't realize that what you really are is sickening to me, and I want you to change. Jesus says he loves you. He loves you. If he's working on your heart, he loves you. So be earnest and repent. Will you stand with me? Let's bow our heads. Can we do that? This will take some honesty. But is there somebody here, you'll say, you know what, Pastor? It's like God read my mail today. It's like God met me right where I'm at. I've relied on some other things instead of what Jesus has for me. I got to make some changes. I got to do things his way. I got to rely on him and not this other stuff. I got to talk to him. And I got to know that I'm going to win this thing. And if that's you, if that's you, I want to pray for you today. Just slip your hand up and put it right back down. I want to pray for you today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm relying on the wrong stuff. Thank you, Jesus. Is there anyone else? God's dealing with me, Pastor. Thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I believe the Lord wants to deal with you today. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. I'm going to give you a chance to open that door and talk to Jesus at the spiritual table. You talk with him. Pour your life out to him. Let his spirit talk to you, knowing that when you walk out of this place, you will win. You will overcome. But don't leave before you've had that conversation with the one who is knocking at the door trying to get your attention. When I say amen, I'm going to give you a chance to pray. When God releases you, you can consider yourself dismissed. If you want a fellowship, can I ask you to do so in the lobby so that we don't disturb anyone who might be praying, okay? So Jesus, the words that we've heard from your word are so powerful. And I ask you, Lord God, that you'd speak to your people now. God, some of us, we've depended on ourselves or or something else for far too long. And God, I ask you that you would move in a brand new way. May we rely on you, not on our talents, our abilities, our money, our, our, our anything that we fill that blank with. May we rely on you. And God, today, I pray that that would be the beginning where we just have a conversation with you. And we say, God, I'm sorry. I repent. God, change me. And let God show us how we need to change. And Lord, I'm praying for different lives. I'm praying for changed lives because of what you have shared with us today. And Lord, we'll thank you for all you do. We'll give you praise, glory, and honor. And it's in your name we pray all of this, Jesus. Amen. If you need to pray, will you do so right now? You can come to this altar and pray. You can pray at your seat. 